Ethan Madowski of Fist Stripes joins us to talk about this exciting Marlins rebuild. We kind of talk about everything from every single trade in the outfield to pretty much every single trade that's been made so far. Uh, we kind of go over everything as far as this team, this position. We're going to break it down position by position for you, just like always, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Painting Corners, your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now, here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. All right, so time for the Marlins offseason preview. Ethan, Marlins finished 57-105. and 105. They finished with the third overall pick, back-to-back fin- last place finishes in the National League. What, are your, what were your thoughts on this season as a whole? I thought... Overall, it was a good year for uh, the Marlins, a, a good year, too. Uh, they put a really, really nice draft class together that I'm sure we'll get to at some point here. And I think that was the most positive sign. Uh, I thought the trade deadline was a huge win for them, bringing in some uh, big additions to their system like Jesus Sanchez and Jazz Chisholm. Um, I, I thought they did a really great job with some of the moves they made. And there were some positive developments on the field. It was nice to see Isan Diaz make his way up to the majors. He had an absolutely massive season down in AAA. Uh, and it was nice to see him get some reps, even though he struggled a bit at the end of the year. Uh, he came up just after the trade deadline. Um, really some exciting moments with him. But overall, it was just a growth year for the franchise, just taking another step forward after obviously the big tear down that came uh, before the 2018 season. So I, I just thought it was a good step in the right direction. You know, you're not going to take much from the day-to-day results that the Marlins are putting out there because this team isn't the roster, the way it was constructed, isn't the way it's going to be constructed in the future. But uh, I think overall there was a lot of good positive growth out of this franchise this past season. You know, Mattingly gets his extension, and I think it kind of shocked everybody. It felt like it, it felt like it shocked everybody. You know, what was kind of the reaction from the fan base, and you know, what does this mean for the direction of the franchise? Well, I I definitely thought it was a surprise. I kind of thought that Donnie was just a sitting duck, and uh, you know, I, I'm not gonna say that I was the, a proponent of him coming back. Um, I thought it would be better to move in another direction at the manager position. One guy that I really wanted was Beltron. Uh, when the Mets got him, I tweeted out that I would have really loved to have seen the Marlins uh, go after him had he had we decided to go in a different direction from Mattingly. But I think at some point you got to have some s- stability in this organization. You got to have something carry over. Um, they kind of did that when they held on to Mike Hill, who's the GM. Uh, they held on to him from the Loria era, and we didn't expect anybody from that era to stick around. But I, I just think that Jeter and and the front office are kind of on the same page with Mattingly. Like he's started to go kind of more towards this metric-based way of thinking that is uh, just taking obviously taking the league by storm now. Um, and I, I I think it's a you know it's a it's a good move just for stability. It wouldn't have been my personal baseball choice, but. I kind of see where the organization was coming from in terms of just trying to keep the same uh, voice at the helm. And I think he really is excited about the project that's going on in Miami. And I think you can tell he's really buying into it with the way that he got really excited about some of the young guys. And you could see him paying attention to what was going on at the lower levels, which you don't often see out of managers, really, at least from my perspective. So 
I thought that was really exciting, and, and I think overall it's a good move to bring Matt, Mattingly back. All right, so jumping into the positions, let's start at catcher, and you really can't go any start anywhere else other than let's touch on JT Real Muto. Traded yeah. the best catcher in baseball. Yeah. He wasn't open to a contract extension. Before we get into the contents of the deal, this deal had to mm-hmm. be done no matter what, right? Absolutely. No, this was the one deal um, besides maybe Yelich that had to get done. Uh, he just had too much value with how much control he had left and and how good of a player he is, how hard it is to find that talented of an offensive catcher. Uh, that deal had to be good, had to get done for sure. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So jumping into the deal itself and the contents, mm-hmm. what were your thoughts on the return for Real Moto? Well, to be honest with you, I you know, had just seen Sixto Sanchez's name out there on Twitter. I didn't know a ton about him. And then when he jumped into the system, I mean, <laughs> I I absolutely fell in love with the guy. I mean, he's just, we'll talk about him later, but he is just probably, I mean, he's the number one prospect in the system. Uh, he's the most exciting uh, pitching prospect that we've had since the late great Jose Fernandez. I mean, that's, you know, it's a bold statement, but it's not really hard to back up. Uh, this guy's fantastic. Absolutely electric. He lit up uh, Jacksonville this year. Uh, it seemed like every night um, that he was out on the mound, he was just uh, dominating. And and then I really like and he so he's just really exciting. But I really like the Alfaro acquisition because there's not really a lot of risk involved in it. I would say he's a pretty good offensive catcher. He's got to drop the strikeouts a lot. I mean, the strikeout numbers are really high, but um, I thought he had a nice year and I was pretty impressed by uh, his hitting ability this year. And and I think he's a nice piece moving forward. I mean, right now there's not a whole lot at catcher, so you got to hang on to Alfaro and hope that he pans out. And then Will Stewart's a nice little back end of the uh, top 30 piece. Uh, a nice lefty arm had some good starts, had some really bad starts. He went like deep with no hitters a couple times this year, so that's a nice piece. I thought overall the trade was a huge roaring success for the Marlins. I mean, Alfaro I feel is a guy that will be around for a while, and Sixto is the future ace of the franchise, so I think they did a pretty good job, all things considered. So many of the guys that we talked to with the podcast, I think pretty much everyone that we talked to was acquired in, in one of the deals that we made in the last two years, so there has been, there's so many new faces in this organization, and, and those are two of the most exciting ones, without a doubt, especially Sixto. All right, so jumping back at the catch, catcher position. So obviously the offensive production of JT was missed, and you touched on Alfaro a little bit. What does the farm look like behind him? Um, Banfield's down there struggling. Yeah, uh, He's pretty young. So so what's the outlook at catcher um, below Alfaro? Uh, not, there's, not a, there's not a big one at all. I mean uh, – Banfield is is really right now what the Marlins are banking on. Um, he's the only catching prospect in the top 30, and he's the only one really of note down there. Um, he had a really tough year at the plate. I mean, just it, it, there's no other way to put it. it. He really struggled at the plate. Um, but his defense is absolutely electric from all uh, accounts and reports. I mean, the kid has a cannon for an arm. He was throwing out base runners. It seemed like left and right every time we had a show, it felt like we were talking about him throwing out three or four guys. Um, so he, he has all the makings of an elite defensive catcher. Um, the only problem is, you know, can he ever put it together with the bat? I mean... Oof! I mean, he hit 199 this year. Yeah. You know, 562 OPS. If yeah, 562 OPS. I mean, 
had a really, really tough year at the plate. And, and you, you know, you're never going to replace that kind of offensive production out of JT Rio Muto behind the plate. He's the best offensive catcher in the league, I would say. Um, so that's never going to happen overnight, but I mean, you got to get a little bit of something out of him. So, um, he, he, and yeah, that's like I said, like that's really all there is down there. Um, I mean, there are a couple guys that were like out of position playing catcher, like Nick Reddy, who had a really nice year. He was one of the uh, mid-round draft picks uh, out of one of the service academies. Um, but I mean, yeah, other than that, and he was playing a lot of third and first. So behind, b- besides Alfaro, like it's Banfield and 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 whatever else. So the Marlins really have to hope for a quick turnaround from Banfield and an increase in his development next year, or else they're going to have to do some soul searching for at the catcher position for sure. So who makes more starts at first base next year? Austin Dean, Garrett Cooper, or Lewin Diaz? Garrett Cooper. Uh, Coop had a really fun year. He really kind of um, caught the heart, like got the heartstrings of the Marlin, of Marlins fans everywhere. Uh, he, he, they really love him and he had a really fun year. He had some really big highs and some, some downs for sure. But I mean, there was one stretch where he was crushing the ball every night. And I think he made himself into a possibility of, I I don't think he's the first baseman of the future. I'm not sure that the first baseman of the future is in the organization right now. If it's anybody, it is Lewin. Um, But I mean, he earned himself another year at starting at first base, unless the Marlins go out and make a play for like an Eric Thames or something. But I don't really see that happening. Uh, Lewin should be up by the end of the year though. I mean, he had a great, great year, uh, down on the farm and, and he kind of struggled a little bit, uh, when he came to Jacksonville, but he hit for a ton of power and he's been hitting for power in the Dominican league, uh, or the winter league as well. So, um, he, he, hopefully he's up in September or by the late of the season. I think if he has another good year, he will be. So he'll make some starts. But yeah, Cooper is probably the opening day first baseman at this point. And depth behind Lou and Diaz is it pretty thin? Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty thin. Um, there's this kid Evan Edwards that I really like. He plays in Clinton. Um, he finished the season with Clinton. He was uh, one of the other draft picks. I can't remember which round he was in, but maybe like five or something, but he had a really nice year uh, and he plays first base and just solid production. Um, first base is where we're really dry, uh, where the Marlins are really dry in the system. There's not a ton. Lewin was, when we acquired Lewin, it was huge because he is now the premier first base prospect in the system, whereas we didn't really have one. All A lot of it before that was moving one of these outfielders, one of this, we just the outfield is just loaded in Miami, and the thought was moving a guy like Gerard Encarnacion or Tristan Pompey or somebody else to who isn't as uh, strong defensively in the outfield to first base. That was kind of like the project going forward, kind of like what happened with Austin Dean. Um, it's the same thing. So, um, but yeah, other than Lewin, there's not really like a true first base prospect uh, out there. I mean, let's just go ahead and hop on to second base. You know, we keep talking about all of these trades. And, you know, one of the big pieces of one of these big trades just declined. It was His option just got declined. Kind of what's your retrospective on, you know, Stalin Castro's Miami career? And did it go how you thought it would go? <laughs> um, no, I thought he would be gone by the first deadline, to be honest with you. I thought that he was uh, a, a guy that 
had he had a first a good first season, which he had a pretty good year, I think the first year, um, would have been flipped for a return. And so we were all kind of surprised when he stuck through the first trade deadline. Um, and then we were definitely all surprised when he made it through this year. Um, the reason he made it through this year is because he didn't get hot until right before the deadline. And it was, it was too little too late. Uh, the Marlins couldn't swing any value for him at that point. I, I wrote an article around that time that they just had to get him out just so that they could get Isan in, um, because he was just wasting away in AAA at that point with the way he was hitting down there. Um, but yeah, you know, it was just kind of, it's one of those rebuild careers with the Marlins, you know, he's here and he has some really great moments. He had a really great second half this year, um, which will probably get him paid again. And, and, you know, he was good to the fans and, 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 uh, always a pleasure was Starlin. So, and he left with grace. So, you know, you can't really complain about that from a fan's perspective, but yeah, I mean, on the field, you know, it was just, it was a, a roller coaster and I expected the Marlins to not let him walk like the way they did, but that's uh, kind of how the cards got played out here. Yeah. I don't want to dump jump into that, uh, that trade just yet because once, once we get to the outfield, we're kind of going to go over all three of them, you know, all three mm-hmm. of the big ones, obviously. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. if we look back at that D Gordon trade though, you know, same position here. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. D played everywhere. What's kind of the outlook on that D Gordon trade looking back? We got Nidert in the D Gordon trade, which was just, I mean, just an absolute steal in my mind. Nidert is possibly our top pitching prospect. Well, besides uh, Sixto, obviously. Um, you could argue he's maybe the next best pitching prospect. Personally, I would say it's Edward Cabrera. He had a huge uh, jump this year, just leaped off the page. Um but yeah, Neidert's really stellar. He was hurt all year, but he had a really, really nice fall. Uh, he went out to Arizona and had a really great fall. And so him and Duggar made some starts in the league this year. And he's another guy that projects to be kind of a, you know, a, an arm that comes up and down every now and then. And he made some good starts. So I definitely think the outlook on that D Gordon trade was pretty good, all things considered. Uh, I mean, I'm the eternal optimist, but I, I, I thought that, Swinging Nidert out of that deal was pretty good. But yeah, I mean, you definitely lose, you know, there was a huge hole at second base left by D and there was a huge hole in the locker room that was left by D. But um, hopefully with the hopefully, you know, Isan can be what we think he is and he can kind of fill that void. What kind of run me through Isan Diaz? Oh, man. Well, I mean, where where do I start? Uh, he had such a good year in AAA. I mean, every night he was just launching the ball. I think he hit near around 30 home runs this year. Um, he was really just spectacular to watch this year. Um, and his defense is something that kind of surprised me, but yeah, it seemed like every night, uh, at, at one point in the summer, it just seemed like every night he was just hitting a home run or going two for four with a double or, uh, making a sweet play out at second base. So the kid hits for a ton of power. Um, he hit. He slugged 578 in AAA this year. Obviously, we saw what happened with the offense in AAA this year, so those numbers might be inflated just a little bit. But his slash was 305, 395, 578. He had a 132 weighted runs created plus. So just an absolutely spectacular year. Um, 
He draws a lot of walks, which is what I absolutely love about him. Uh, he has a really great approach, and and you saw that when he came up to the minor, uh, when he came up to the majors, he walked at almost a ten percent clip and was striking out under thirty percent. Um, and even though the numbers might not reflect how good he looked, his it, his approach looked really advanced for a young kid his age. And he always kind of takes time at a new level to adjust. Like when he got to Jacksonville, when he first got into the system, he started really slow out of the gates and then got really hot to the point where they sent him to uh, New Orleans at the end of his first year with us. And then the same thing happened this year where he kind of struggled out of the gates, was hitting under the Mendoza line in like May and then just came out swinging and started tearing the cover off the ball and put up those numbers that I just read off. So, um, Really just an exciting prospect, uh, left-handed, sweet swinging. Um, you know, everybody says that the swing kind of looks like Robbie Cano. And if you look at it, it really kind of does look like Robbie Cano. Um, I'm not sure he'll – I think that's pretty much the ceiling for him. But I think another a, a good comparison uh, my buddy on the podcast, Ian Smith, made was uh, he said Ian Kinsler – and I think that's probably like the most likely scenario, I would say, if it, you know, if it doesn't completely go south. Um, but I, 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 the comparison, the ultimate comparison for this kid is, is Robbie Cano and just a sweet swinging left handed hitter that t- can get on base and uh, play really good defense out at second base. Yeah, I think uh, I think anybody you know growing up in Texas could will tell you <laughs> that Ian Kinsler was a pretty damn good comp for a second yeah, baseman. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you know, if, if that's how it works out, if that's your worst case scenario, um, then you've got a really nice player with Isan. But, um, you know, he's going to have to take some strides because he did struggle to make contact in the bigs. Um, but he's so he's going to have to take some strides next year. But I'm not worried about him because, like I said, he takes a while to adjust at new levels usually. So. All right. So moving to short mm-hmm. in um the Marlins 2019 Heart and Hustle Award winner, Miguel Rojas. One yeah. thing that sticks out to me when looking at his uh-huh. stats was his defensive war stat, which was 12.6, which is uh, top yeah. 10 in all of baseball. And yeah. just w- give me your thoughts on his season. Uh, I love Miggy Rowe. Uh, he is the heart and soul of the team. He really is. And when we extended him, I was just really happy because he is the perfect guy from this era of Marlins baseball. Uh, that should carry over into the next one when all these young guys come up. He'll be the perfect kind of veteran leader in the clubhouse. Um, he, he can, you know, play all around the infield. And like you said, I mean, he plays gold glove defense. Uh, you know, he'll never get the recognition for it, but he plays really stellar defense at shortstop. And he, he had some really nice moments with the bat this year, uh, really some good stretches. So, I love Miggy Rowe. I'm glad we kept him around. I thought he had a really nice season, and he earned himself the extension, uh, and he earned himself a chance to be, like I said, the the, the carryover uh, from this age of Marlins baseball to what is coming and what we all expect to be just the next great age of, of uh, the franchise here. So looking under him in the farm, mm-hmm. obviously you got Jazz Chisholm, yeah. uh, the prospect acquired in the gallon trade. So we can jump into that real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gallon was uh, pretty good around the time of the trade. Yeah. How did yeah. you f- how did you feel about the trade and compared <laughs> to how do you feel now? I'll tell you exactly where I was. I was in the line at PDQ and it was I was going into work and it was uh, probably like what like two thirty three o'clock on deadline day 
And so I'm waiting for the Marlins to do something, waiting and waiting and waiting. And then I see that, you know, gallon to the D-backs. And I just felt uh, betrayed almost, honestly. It felt like what was starting, you know, what everybody said the Marlins was we're going we're gonna to do, which is all these guys are going to come up and then they're just going to ship them off and, you know, fire sale and the whole thing that Loria did. And he really broke this broke this fan base. Um, and it kind of felt that way. The optics of the trade were really bad. But then I kind of took a second to look at it and I realized what the Marlins did, which is they used their pitching surplus, which they had a ton of of arms. I mean, they still have some, their system is loaded with arms and they use that surplus to go out and fill a void in the system, which is power. And they got this kid jazz who was really struggling, um, with, uh, in the Arizona system was hitting two Oh four and then, and, and had a 732 OPS and his K rate was through the roof. I mean, 123 strikeouts. Um, over 30% K rate. But then he came to Jacksonville and was awesome and had a put together an 877 OPS, uh, was hitting for power all over the place, taking walks, and he really kind of cut the strikeouts down. So all of a sudden, now you're looking at a top, he's rated 54 on pipeline right now. You're looking at a top 60 prospect for a guy that ultimately falls in line, even though he was awesome. I loved watching Gallon pitch. He was awesome when he came up to the majors. When you look deeper down the system, he probably fell in line somewhere around four, five, six, and you think that he might be that next guy out, and you look at what you got for him, and it looks a lot more positive. So I thought the Marlins, you know, as frustrating as it was to watch Gallon go, I thought they did a really good job with that trade and all the trades that they made at the deadline, really, because they had a huge problem with a lack of power in the system, and that has been completely solved with the acquisitions of guys like Sanchez and Chisholm and Diaz. So... It gets a lot better when you look at Jazz, and then another guy. I don't know if you guys want to talk about him, but is is Jose Devers at oh, shortstop? Yeah. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> this guy's fun, man. I mean, he came over in the Stanton trade and plays great defense and can hit the ball. I mean, he missed a lot of the year, um, but he can really put the bat on the ball all across in 47 games this year. He hit 322 with a 781 OPS, and he is 19 years old. He is younger than I am almost a year younger than I am. And so this kid is really, really, really exciting. And the way he plays defense and the way that he can hit at such an advanced, he's in high A and he's putting those numbers together uh, is really impressive. So I thought the Marlins did, you know, that Stanton trade, obviously the Castro thing didn't work out and it was a, more of a money deal than anything. But Devers was the real gem of that trade for sure. You know, he kind of went from, jumping back to Chisholm for a second, he went from the Jackson Suns to the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp like our friend Tommy Ewald. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll talk about uh-huh. it later. Uh, interesting character. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, who sticks at shortstop? Can both of these guys play short or do you think that somebody like jazz uh winds up playing second um if anybody you know if you're telling me okay only one of these two guys sticks at short from a defensive side it's got to be devers he's a little more advanced defensively he's supposedly one of the best uh defensive prospects if not the best in the system but don't sell jazz short on his defense either i mean he's a pretty solid defender out there from all accounts um, so I think those, both of those guys really have a good shot at staying at short. I'm trying to look down, um, 
Osiris is another exciting uh, shortstop prospect. Don't even get me started on Nassim Nunez. I love that kid. Uh, and then Jose Salas is a kid that's a little bit farther away at shortstop um, from the international free agency market who, you know, we'll see coming, you know, slowly coming up the tracks uh, in the next few years here. But the the future at shortstop is pretty bright for the Marlins. But, I mean, it, at the end of the day right now, because of what you gave up to get him and because of his stature as a top 60 prospect, you have to hope that Jazz is the guy. Um, just from an optics standpoint, you have to. And don't be surprised if a short if shortstop, when the Marlins are ready to go out and get a big name, if shortstop is the position that they go after, uh, you know, get not saying they're going to get Francisco Lindor, but a really trusted Marlins beat reporter, uh, Craig Mish, has always kind of hinted that not it's not going to happen, but it, it's something that the Marlins would consider down the road. But I'm not going to speculate on that at all. But I'm just saying that uh, shortstop is a position because of the way that the roster construction currently breaks down that the Marlins could look into making a huge acquisition at, you know, two or three years from now, I would say. Where does Nunez fall in your favorite Marlins prospects and kind of why is he one of those guys? (laughs) He's right up there. He's just lovable, man. I mean, he just came in and young kid uh, just has like bright eyes that just he he looks shell-shocked every time he walks in the ballpark. And he's got this swagger about him that uh, will really excite you as a Marlins fan. I mean, he just has this like he's got like drip almost, you know, every time he walks around and his Instagram is really is a fun follow and him and the boys down in the GCL are just always chopping it up and looking like they're having a good time and just looks like a kid that enjoys the game and just does it for the love of the pure passion of the game. And he's really good at it. I love slick fielding shortstops and he, he didn't end up, his numbers don't look great at the end of the year. Um, but he started out hitting pretty well for an 18 year old out just out of high school. Um, so he's really an exciting prospect that the Marlins have. And, uh, you know, he's, way he's 18 years old. He just got drafted. He hasn't even reached full season ball yet. Um, but He's a guy that definitely plays into the cards at shortstop in the future for the Marlins. But, you know, that's three to four years from now, I would say. I have a feeling that this is everybody, like probably 50% of Marlins fans' favorite player. So we're going to the Uh hot corner. How good was Brian Anderson this year? Good, good, Um, really good. I mean, he sold me. Like, I I always kind of thought that third base was the biggest hole because there's not a true third baseman. Like if you look at our top 30, there's not a third baseman listed on here. Um, and I was kind of afraid about the third base position and Anderson's ability to stick there. Now I'm not going to say this dude's like, you know, a a championship winning third baseman. I still believe in the concept that you have to have, uh, you know, a Nolan Arenado, Chris Bryant, uh, you know, type Bregman uh, at third bit. Yeah. Bregman, uh, Rendon, you know what I mean? At third base to win, to win a championship. I still think third base is one of the most important offensive positions out there. Um, and I don't think Brian Anderson is a championship winning third baseman necessarily, but he's a guy that can hold over that third, that hot corner for, um, uh, the next few years until, you know, maybe the Marlins are ready to make a jump. Um, pe- people get mad at me on Twitter all the time for saying that BA, you know, won't be on this team if when they win a championship. Um, but 
he, he definitely earned himself the right to get a shot at being the third baseman of the future. I'm still not 100% sold, but I mean, he's going to play third base for the next probably three to five years for the Marlins unless they go out and, you know, third base is where they acquire a big name. Um, you know what I mean? So um, he, he's the guy going forward right now because there, like I said, there is nothing behind him in the system. There are a few, you know, fringe, fringy draft prospects that just came up that play third base, but nothing really serious yet in terms of a guy that's going to come up and take his spot because there's just nothing in the system right now to do so. This outfield looks very different than it did three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Very different. Is it three now? Are we to three years now? Um. Yeah, they got traded before the 2017 season. Yeah. 2018 season. That was so the this purge. This will be the third year. That was definitely the purge. Yeah. So let's kind of walk First. back through some of these trades real quick before we get into the current one. We're going to leave the Yellows trade last because I hate Lewis Brinson. <laughs> so that's the primary reason. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about Ozuna first. Yeah, you know, yeah, Alcantara back. Likely, you know, a big pitching prospect for this ace. He was pretty good. Like, I, I yeah, like it. You know, great. you get Sierra, it's then great. you get Gallon, who you wind up trading for Chisholm. Then you get yeah. Tostano. How did you feel about that trade initially, and how do we feel about it now? It wasn't the headliner, you know. It, de- right. it, it, it was the third one. It was kind of the one. Yeah, it was definitely kind of the one that flew under the radar, even though maybe besides Stanton, Probably the best. Ozuna was so loved here. He was so loved here. We loved Ozuna, and we were so sad to see him go. And he left with so much grace. But, um, you know the the Sierra thing like went south really fast. Like we were all really excited about Mags, and then he just kind of turned into like he would be so good in 2007. You know what I mean? (laughs) But he's just not like he he he's just not the kind of um, player that is really successful in the MLB today because he doesn't hit for a ton of power and he doesn't take a lot of walks. But, you know, he when he gets on base, he can use his speed so well. He's such a tremendous base runner. Um, Sandy, I'll talk about in a second. Gallon, we touched on. I don't know too much about Castano, to be honest with you. Um, but Gallon, I mean, you flip, you turn into Jazz, which is great. And so ultimately the trade is Sierra, Jazz, and um, Sandy – for Ozuna, who's probably going to be out of St. Louis this year. I mean, I don't, you know, yeah, really. No, he's, he's a free agent. There. He's, yeah, he's gone. So, um, overall, I mean, <laughs> you know, that's not too bad. Um, Sandy is just electric. I mean, he really is. And, you know, all the talk was the stuff. And can he put it all together? And he didn't really strike out a ton of guys this year, which was really kind of weird considering how electric his stuff is. But he just got the job done. Like, he he threw a Maddox uh, this year. He he had, like, a complete game on, like, 80-something, 89 pitches maybe. Our um, guy Foolish Baseball will appreciate you so much for that. <laughs> yeah, he, had, he, was, he was great, man. I mean, he just um, – just like I said, just got the job done. He pitched a full year, which was huge because he was not healthy um, the year before. He he had struggled with some injury, but he played himself into a rotation spot in the future um, because you know all all everybody that was kind of down on Sandy said that you know he'll be a seventh inning guy, an eighth inning guy, but I mean he just was tremendous this year. And so I'm really, really excited about Sandy. I think he can totally put it all together. 
um, and and you know be still be that two or th- that two. You know, maybe I mean with Sixto coming, it's hard to say that anybody besides him will be the right. ace in the system. Um, but yeah, he can definitely play himself back into reaching his ceiling. Fangraphs put out this article about his sinker. I don't know if you read it. But he started using his sinker more in July. He really went away from the fastball and started using the sinker. And his FIP was great. And his strikeout rate was up 6%. And um, the the sinker, the pitch shape and everything that they talked about was just so much better than the fastball. And that's when he really started finding his success was down the stretch. So uh, I'm excited for year three of Sandy. I'm looking forward to seeing another, hopefully another full year out of him and watching him continue to develop. So, you know, if he turns into that two and Ozuna's not in St. Louis anymore, you know, all of a sudden you that win. trade doesn't look too bad either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That trade doesn't look too bad either. So it's it's um, hard to say that you want to trade if you don't get a title out of it, yeah. if you're the contending uh, team. For sure. For sure. No, it is. You know, especially what with what the Cardinals tried to do. They tried they needed a power bat and they brought in Ozuna and you know, he was great there. Don't get me wrong. I I love Marcel. I've rooted for Marcel the entire way, even though I absolutely Seems despise like a grizzly him. bear. Yeah, he is. He's just like a grizzly bear, but he just goes out there and he just has fun and just enjoys the game. And, you know, he, he makes a fool out of himself sometimes in left field. But, I mean, the kid, you know, he hits for a ton of power and he's a good, solid hitter. You Nobody can underestimate how much of an impact Barry Bonds had on him. That was his breakout season was when Bonds was the hitting coach here. And that was 2016. And since then, he's just been a completely different ball player. And so it was definitely sad to see him go. And it would be awesome. It's not going to happen. But free agent, everybody wants to bring Ozuna back. It's not going to happen. But, um, you know, he, he, I, I success the rest of the way. And I think the Marlins ultimately did a pretty good job with that deal. Just despite the criticism, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's funny because that's – I feel like that's always going to be known as the third deal, you know? Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, let's go to the let's go to the first deal. Let's talk about the – I guess what everybody thought was the biggest one at the time, which I think might actually provide maybe the worst return, maybe, mm-hmm. out, of, out of all of it. And let's talk about the Stanton deal because, I mean, Castro's for gone. For who? For the Marlins or for the Yankees? Oh, for the Yankees. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah for the Yankees, I mean – He's like the most hated man in New York, and that's saying yeah, something. I know. It's really upsetting. It's oh, really oh boy. I love, <laughs> I love G. But anyway, uh, you were saying? But yeah, you know, let's go ahead. And, we've already talked about Castro. You just talked about Sandy. Somebody, that, somebody else that's probably going to wind up in this rotation is Jorge Guzman, who was in this deal. Yeah. We've already touched on yeah. Devers. Kind of walk us through Guzman and, like, you know, what he means to this organization right now. Flame thrower. I mean, this dude yeah. is just straight heat at all times, flamethrower. And the secondary stuff kind of came along this year, and the numbers got a lot better. Uh, he's still walking a ton of guys, but he really cleaned it up at the end of the year. Like, his end of the year was really, really nice, actually, um, which is really just kind of, you know, bodes well. Like, I, I always kept saying he is going to do everything he can to try – and prove to the Marlins that he can be a starter in the majors um, because that's all he knows how to do is just pitch and be a starter. I mean, he put together some really nice starts at the end of the year. Um, and he, he spent the full year in Jacksonville. I would expect him to be up in New Orleans next year. The walks have to come down. The walks have to come down He or else 
because he just kind of like explodes. Like he'll be having a great outing through four or five, and then he'll just kind of have one inning where he'll blow up. You know what I mean? And if he doesn't have that inning where he blows up, then he's absolutely fantastic. But if he does, then, you know, it it, it gets tough with him. So that's why I still kind of think that he plays as a reliever, and I think that's there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Like the the hundred mile an hour fastball and pretty good secondaries, a nice slider and a changeup that's coming along well, um, that's going to play tremendously out of the bullpen. So worst case scenario for the Marlins, they found their closer of the future. Uh, he, he's totally a guy that could be just an elite closer because, like I said, he can be really really good in short bursts. And that's all you need out of a closer really is one inning, you know, five outs sometimes. And if he can do that consistently, um, but he, but like I said, it, we, we shouldn't be talking about this because uh, George will tell you, and, and he switched from Jorge to George this year. He'll tell you probably that he's going to do everything he can to be a starter. And he showed that in his performance at the end of the year. So this is the year for him. This coming year is the year for him. It's either he pitches really well at the next level or if he stays in Jacksonville or he struggles and he heads to the bullpen. We'll know this year whether he's going to be projects to be in the rotation for the Marlins in the future or whether he's going to be their closer of the future. Are you telling me that two people that changed their, how people say their names were in the same deal? Yeah, I know, right? Right at the beginning of the year, he was like, oh, by the way, my name is George, not Jorge. Yep. I did it, and I did it. I said Jorge on the podcast the whole season. Oh, really? It's like how people. It's like how people still call the Chargers the San Diego Chargers, yes. or still call the Marlins the Florida Marlins. I still call him Jorge all the time. So, you're not the first person to make that mistake for sure. How often does a trade go down, and the centerpiece of the trade is the worst player in the trade when it comes down? Like I'm feeling. You, like, you mean you're calling Sandor's player? Here? No, no, no. I'm, we're going oh, to the Yelich oh, trade because I'm about to shit on Lewis Brinson. <laughs> there is a reason that he's been traded five times. No, it, it feels it like five happen. times at least. It doesn't happen very often. And it really um, doesn't. It really doesn't. It's so it's so upsetting um, because I love LB. I love him. Um, he's and he just, fooled us in the beginning of the year. He he did. He did. He was hitting 300 after like two or three weeks. And I'm like, finally, like, please, Lewis, like I'm sick of and tired of people just shitting all over you. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I get it. Yelich is an MVP candidate. You know, he's going to be a parental MVP candidate. I get it. Just put it together. And it's so upsetting, man. Like uh, he seems like such a great guy and, um, I, 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 we tried to speak with him this year, but we never got the chance to. And he was really good for a while in New Orleans. And he still, there's still moments where you're like, God, that guy can do it, man. But uh, he's just, you know, it, it just seems like another uh, Buxton or um, Broxton. You know, it's just the same kind of thing. This athletic freak that has all the tools to be a great baseball player, and he gets to the major leagues and he can't hurt a, hit a curveball. Um, so. Yeah, it's crazy how that happened right away where you got this kid coming in and he's your opening day center fielder replacing, um, you know, one of the new faces of the league uh, in Christian Yelich. And and he it just doesn't work out. Um, but the rest of it is great. Yeah, the rest of it is great. And what I will say is it was really bad 
it was really, really bad until the trade deadline this year um, because of what the Marlins did to make up for the fact that LB isn't going to pan out um, and the depth that they added to this outfield and the depth that they added to the system, especially with the draft and the deadline, like the one-two punch of the draft and the deadline that they had, the Marlins are going to be all right. And um, as sad as it is to say, um, Lewis Brinson doesn't seem to be part of the plans of the future in this franchise, which if you told me that two years ago, um, I would have called you crazy. Yeah, and I mean, he was good enough. It panned out. He was good enough to be in deals for like Jonathan Lucroy, who was very con- he contributed to that Texas team at the time yep. when, he, when he got traded to Milwaukee. And Christian Yelich, so you're not a bad you no you fooled two different organizations yeah. into thinking yep. that you were good. You sure did. And the other thing is like the 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 Brewers saw something. Yeah. You know, because the Marlins went after Vlad or Bichette. This is, you know, what is reported is that the Marlins went after Vlad or Bichette because they knew what they had with Yelich. But the Blue Jays wouldn't budge. So they, you know, they went after Acuna and the Braves wouldn't budge. And all credit to the Blue Jays and the Braves, no matter how good Christian Yelich is for not budding uh, on Acuna and on Vladdy and on Bichette, because those guys are going to be tremendous. They're three of the, you know, faces of this new era of baseball. But credit to the Brewers for, for saying, you know what, this is, this guy is somebody that we need. We need to go after Christian Yelich. He can take the next step here. He can become that thirty power, you know, that thirty home run hitter that a lot of people saw. He can, you know, I'm not saying I thought he was going to be an MVP perennial MVP candidate and hit 320 and slug 700 every year because I didn't. I can't believe it's the case. But I knew he had 30 home run potential. Every Marlins fan that watched him will tell you that he had 30 home run potential. Um, and you know, and now all of a sudden, you know, Lewis Brinson is what you get back, and it's tough. But from the, a Brewers standpoint, it's great because you took that risk. You said, "Yeah, we might be giving up on this on this Brinson guy, and maybe he turns out to be great." But our guy, the guy that we want, is going to be better. And look at how that worked out for him. You know, two playoff appearances because of him in a row for a franchise that was just kind of whittling in mediocrity for a long time. Yeah, so we already talked about Brinson. We've already talked about Diaz. Monte Harrison is the third of four pieces. How good is Monte Harrison? Guy, this is my guy right here. Like, number one guy. We spoke to him at the beginning of the season uh, before all the injuries went down, when he was, and he was hot. He was on fire when we talked to him. And he is just the most down-to-earth guy um, that you could ever talk to. Um all about faith, all about family. Uh, his brother is Shaq Harrison, who's in the NBA. Um, and so he just comes from, he's just got athlete in his blood. And dude's just a pure athlete. He's a dog. He played high school. Uh, he played football in high school. I think he was like a high recruit in high school. And and the kid's just a baller. He, he's got swag. He wears the chain. He One button's unbuttoned. He's got the white arm sleeve and the white cleats. And he just has the makings of a ball player, you know. And um Really kind of had a tough year in Jacksonville when he first came into the system and Kate a ton. And and that kind of suggested to me, all right, they'll just run it back and, you know, have him go to Jacksonville. But clearly the Marlins saw something in him because they sent him up to New Orleans this year and he tore the cover up the ball, uh, put together a really, really nice year. 
um, with an OPS right around 800, um, hit for power. And he kind of had this new approach that he implemented in the fall league uh, last year um, when he went to Arizona. And there wasn't a ton of power coming in from it. So coming into the year, we were like, will Monte tap back into that power? We all know he has. And he did. Uh, he hit uh, nine home runs in 56 games this year. So um, the kid's really good. He is going to have to cut the strikeouts. He's going to struggle with strikeouts early in his MLB career. But if he can hit the ball hard, which is all he does when he puts the bat on the ball, he hits the ball hard and it goes really far. And he's a good defender because he's so athletic and he's got a great arm. Um, he's going to be a really good ball player for the Marlins. And um, I am so excited. I cannot – I'm drooling over Monte. I cannot wait until he gets up to the bigs because I will be at his debut and I'll be in a Monte Harrison jersey. So I love this kid. I can talk about him all day. I talked about him all year on the pod. And like I said, just a great kid that's easy to root for, which is what what a lot what what's happening a lot around this Marlins organization right now is good kids that are just easy to root for. And um, I think Monte, you know, obviously Brinson was the face of the deal, and Isan has emerged, and Yams we'll get to in a sec is awesome, but Monte's the gem of the deal, no doubt about it, just because of the presence that he'll bring, and also because I just think he's going to be a good ball player. Let's talk about Yams. You know, great first yeah. half. And, yeah. you know, how does he project? Um, I was so surprised with his performance when he came up because I knew, I knew the kid was good. Um, he was he dealt last year. He had a great year last year and then struggled a little bit in Jacksonville this year. Um, he's like he's he's Kyle Hendricks. I mean not he's not as good as Kyle Hendricks. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> it's similar, you know, the makeup is similar. Just not going to blow the fastball by you, but he's going to put it in a spot where you just simply can't hit it. And the changeup is great. The curveball is great. It's wicked. And he's just got the stuff that can just play, you know. He's not going to overpower you like so many of these pitchers um nowadays are and in the Marlins have a lot of those guys in the system. Um, but he's just going to, you know, pitch his way. He's, he's just a good pitcher. Uh, does he project as the ace, the two, even the three? No, probably not. Um, you know, some people like uh, Eli, who's our editor at Fish Stripes, is kind of lower on him than I am. He thinks he kind of plays as like a journeyman arm, you know, back and forth between AAA and, you know. Um, but I think he's – I think he can play into the rotation very well at the back end. Um I think he's got a future in the organization for sure because he's just got – it's just pitchability with him. Like he can just throw his pitches where he wants to and strike you out. And I was impressed with the strikeout numbers when he got up to the bigs. He was striking out a ton of guys. So I think Yams can play. You know, he's not going to be the, the number one, the number two. But I think he's a guy that can definitely hang around in this rotation for a long time. Um, you know, but – with the arms that are down there, you know, he, he is a guy that could definitely get passed over just because of the amount of talent that's still yet to come up to the bigs for the Marlins. I mean, we kind of hit all those trades now. That was pretty, that was actually pretty fun. Those deals were crazy, man. I mean, when that was all going down, it was just like learning new names, you know, figuring out where this guy slots into the organization. You know, is this, the, is this one of the guys of the future? You know, is he or is he not a top 100 prospect? You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and it was so tough because of the noise that was all around. And 
you know, I was obviously always a big proponent of this rebuild. So I kind of had to play, you know, that just relax. Just I do that with Padres Twitter all the time. Yeah, no, it's tough, man. It's so hard because people get so angry. And and like I said, like earlier, like Loria really broke this fan base. I mean, he really did. Nobody trusts this team anymore. But coming back, it's starting to happen again. People are starting to kind of see what's going on down in Miami. And and I think this next year will kind of be when it all starts to really show at the major league. Uh, cool thing about all, like we've already talked about all five trades that I wanted to talk about now. Uh, mm-hmm. I was doing the research on it and I figured out that what y'all got out of this, right, was your 1, 4, 5, 10, 11, 16, 23, <laughs> 26 ranked prospects, right? Yes. Yes, and that doesn't even include okay the international bonus money that you got, y'all got in those deals to acquire thirteen and twenty seven being the Mesas. Watch out for twenty seven. Watch out for Junior. I, I love Junior. Junior. I like Junior, Junior way more than I like Victor. Yeah, Victor. Victor. You know, I still think Victor. Victor can kind of put something together because he's such a great defender. I mean, just going to be like if he makes it to the majors and makes it, he's going to be an elite defensive center fielder, no doubt about it. Got to deal it, with Junior though. Yeah, but that junior kid, man, brings the swag. He hit 284 with a 764 OPS. He just turned 18. He turned 18 two months ago. The kid, it, 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 him and Nassim are like buddy buddy. Like they had this like fun little bromance that he followed <laughs> all year, and um, they're fun to watch. And yeah, that kid. I mean, he's got the swagger. He's got the confidence, and he plays well. But I mean, we didn't even talk about the. The deadline deals. The deadline deals were so fantastic. Well, let's Jesus go ahead and talk about them. Yeah, let's do it. We we didn't even talk about Jesus. Yeah, let's talk about Sanchez. Yeah, so so we got him for uh, Anderson and who? Who's yeah, the other? Anderson had, Anderson had been was really good in the playoffs. By the way, I saw yeah, his numbers. Anderson was great down the stretch for the Rays. And who was the? Did we trade Richards? I think it was Richards. But anyway, um. Jesus is just like that power void from the left side of the plate that the Marlins needed to fill. They used Trevor Richards, who was a good young arm that a lot of people really liked because he had that sick changeup. I mean, his changeup is disgusting. But um, like I said earlier with uh, with what they did with Gallon, they used a surplus of arms to go out and acquire a need, which was power from the left side of the plate. And they did it with Lewin. And they did it with Jazz, all three power hitting lefties that they acquired at the deadline, and that that uh, deal that they made with Minnesota, where they traded, uh, they did it again. They used Valamont, Chris Valamont, who was a really nice pitching prospect. I really liked Valamont. I think he's in the Twins' top thirty. Um, they used him and who else? And Romo, right? And Romo to go out and get Diaz because we needed a power hitting first baseman, and we got a power hitting first baseman. And then we used Gallon to get Jazz. So. This organization, like this front office knows what they're doing. They know the system really well. I talked about this all year on the podcast that they have like this really good organizational awareness that you're, you know, it it reflects well on how on the roster construction, their ability to construct this roster, that they know where there are voids in talent and they plugged them right away. They went right after him, attacked him with Blade and with Jesus and with Jazz and with Lewin and uh, Burdick is a, Really exciting prospect out of this draft. So, um, 
you know, they got it going on, man. The Morons really got it going on, I'm telling you. We were talking about before how we were actually excited to do this preview because last year when we did it with Luis, it was kind of bare bones. Like, you know, there wasn't a lot. You know, Luis is great, Mm -hmm. but, you know, it's just... It was just like kind of those things like, all right, we got to do the Marlins. This year it was like, we yeah. get to do the Marlins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it happened so It happened so, so fast. fast. It happened so fast, man. I mean, all, you know, even this year, the box scores were so boring. You know, it was all about the pitchers. It was all about the pitchers. And then it was Isan and Monte and... Eh, and that's it. And like Gerard Encarnacion was having a great year. He had a great year all year. It, I love Gerard. Um, the outfield's loaded in Miami. But anyway, um, and then all of a sudden, the draft comes in, and Burdick starts setting the world on fire, and Meisner has a good year, and Evan Edwards, who nobody will talk about, <laughs> is having a great year. You know what I mean? And Nick Reddy, who nobody knows about, is having a great year. And and then Blade comes in and struggles a little bit, but then you start to see that pure hitter that you know that everybody knew was there with Blade. And so all of a sudden these box scores started lighting up. I mean, two one games became six five games, became eight seven games. You know what I mean? So it happened so fast. And then the trade deadline happened, and all of a sudden, you know, you had Jesus hitting a home run every night, Jazz hitting a home run every night, Lewin hitting a home run every night, and and it, it the the it it really like the narrative kind of this was a year that the script kind of flipped on the Marlins in terms of everybody's kind of down on them and now they're rated as a top as what number four yep on pipeline system from thirty you know, to four 10. in two years Un- unbelievable what what this Ross what this organization has done and to it, it you know. It's time to stop selling them short. Um, you know, it's time it to really stop is. saying this is the same old Marlins because it's not the same old Marlins. Jeter and these guys came in and they had a plan. And so far, you know, I, you know, I want to be like, you know, not say that they won every deal that they made and that this worked out so well and, and just seem like I'm just a homer. But if you really look at it, man, like it's really worked out for the Marlins really well. And, and, you know, they got the boys on the move. They definitely got the boys on the move down here for sure. They literally took what, like what normal people do on 2k to where like they take a team and they just completely trade everything. Yeah. And, or, you know, what do you do on the show and rebuild it from there? Like I've done that a million times and the Marlins just like did it. (laughs) They just flat out did it in real life. And I'm, I'm telling you, like it was, it was a month that, all of a sudden it really took shape. Like it all came together when the draft happened because the draft, like if you look at that it's draft, it's gorgeous. Top, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. They signed Fitterer. They signed Mokma. Um, you know, they, and they used all this, they used, they got all these seniors, you know what I mean? These guys that they could sign for really cheap so that they could go out and use their bonus pool money to sign the Fitterer, the Mokma, the Nassim, you know what I mean? All these guys that they felt they wanted to lock down. It's a lot of college bats, which is what was needed, was really good hitters, just pure baseball players, pure hitters, guys that are going to hit 270, 280 with, you know, 450 plus slugging percentages. And, and, and then they got their high school guys. You know, there are three main high school guys that they got Mokma, Nassim, 
and Fitterer. They're all in the top 30, and they all locked them. They locked all of them down, which was I thought was so impressive. And then the trade deadline happened, and obviously seeing Gallon go was was bad. But all the, you know after the after the deadline, they ranked number four um, in the system, and that's when I realized that people are finally taking notice of what's going down in Miami and all the work that I've been doing for this will be season number three, see three and a half. It really started when we traded like D and Phelps and, you know, got Pablo back and that's when it really started, you know? And then, and then like, since then I've been putting in the work covering these guys and trying to make people aware of what was happening. One, the rumors of Jeter buying the team were out there. And and the work is finally paying off, man. And the work of the Marlins organization, most importantly, is finding finally paying off because people are finally realizing that this isn't the same old Marlins. What is the outfield shape up to look like on opening day, do you think? This year? <sighs> opening day outfield? Um we thinking Birdie? <laughs> maybe. I mean he was he, he was, was pretty nice. good. Like he was almost a two war player. Yeah, no, had a pretty good year. Uh, I got to imagine, you know, they're going to put Brinson out there. Right. They have to. It's an obligation. They have They have to. Um, God. So, well, maybe Sierra makes the opening day roster just to give him a shot to fill the roster spot. I, I imagine, like, they got to spend some money because they have to fill out a roster and they have to raise the payroll a little bit. Like another Maybe Grainerson one of those type? signings. Maybe – but, but better, like Cole Calhoun is a guy that some people say we should go after. Um, I don't Dickerson know. will be expensive. Bird, Birdie could play in. Yeah, by by September, hopefully, it looks like Monte, Jesus, Ooh. and, and uh, hopefully not Brinson. <laughs> no, hopefully, you know, as much as I love, you know what? Hopefully, Blade. Honestly, I don't think Already? so. But if the day comes up in September, like this kid's going to start the year in Jacksonville. Right. I think he had a 690 OPS. And the only reason it was only 690 is because he kind of started slow. Well, he's a college but guy, so you can trust him like they, that. Right. They love this kid. They love this kid. And he'll probably be with the team in spring. So if he's with the team in spring and he has a nice spring and they like what they see from him, I think he'll be in Jacksonville. And. If he goes to Jacksonville and tears the cover off the ball, you know, that's where you're going to see your best pitching. So why, you know, why go to AAA? I mean, I guess he yeah, kind of has to, but Monte is going to be in the show at some point this year. Jesus is going to be in the show at some point this year. And there's got to be somebody, who am I missing? No, because Cooper's going to play first base. Ryan, Brian Anderson's going to play third base. Dean doesn't play missing? outfield much, right? Oh, uh, they, and, and, can we end the Dean thing? I mean, uh, uh, people tried to do it for so long, and it's just it's just not going to happen. But, yeah, Brinson's going to see a bunch of time out there, and, you know, who knows what can happen with that. I mean, he's still, you know, talent doesn't just go away. I mean, athleticism just He could be like Profard where he finally figures it out. Yeah, you know, but. Kind uh, of, not the, really. This team's going to look a lot different than it did, I think. I mean, the infield is going to look pretty similar. You know, you'll go like first base, probably Cooper, second base, Isan, shortstop, Miggy Rowe, third base, BA, and Alfaro behind the plate. 
But the outfield is where it gets really interesting, and it's where it gets really interesting for the future because there are so many guys. We didn't even mention Cameron Meisner. Uh, Connor Scott is had a great year. Totally changed my mind on him this year. Um, Gerard Encarnacion is the most underrated prospect in this system. Hands, My hands are on the table. Um, he had a great year. He had a great fall. Burdick is a guy that tore the cover off the ball in Clinton this year. Uh, hit, hit 949 OPS in 69 games. Nice in the minors this year. Um, hit 308 with a 542 slugging percentage. I mean, there are so many out options. And then obviously the big one is Blade. It all It's all about this kid. Um, I, I loved this pick. I'm an SEC guy through and through. So I loved this pick. And it, 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 he is ultimately what it comes down to, I'd say, in the outfield. So I think if you look at the future, what you really want is you want Blade, Monte, and Jesus. And I think that's about as good as it gets with Monte and Blade, either Monte or Blade in center and right, and then Jesus in left. Well, we're just starting pitching now. And I've already asked you this question once. Whose idea uh-huh. was it to trade Chris Paddock for Fernando Rodney? <laughs> David Sampson, the troll man, the guy on Twitter that wants you to know that he screwed up the Marlins' future. And he thinks he did a great job, but he did a shit job, actually. I want to put the sunny, uh, I want to put the sunny song, the troll song in there now for some reason. <laughs> you got to pay the troll toll. Uh, <laughs> no, I was talking about this with a friend of mine last night. We were talking about Survivor. And how David Sampson was on Survivor, and he was the first person voted off that season. And it brought me so much joy to watch Jeff Probst say, David, the tribe has spoken. And put out that motherfucker's torch. You have no idea how much joy that brought me. <laughs> Those guys, I mean, you know, like I said, like that Paddock and Rodney thing, that's just your typical one for one. Marlins. It's just your typical Marlins deal that went down back in the day where it's just short-sighted and it's just that's the kind of deals that the Marlins were making back in the day. The Gallon thing, yeah, I understand. Gallon was great while he was here, but it's so much different than the Paddock thing. You know what I mean? And, and Luis Castillo and Domingo Herman. I mean, I forget about all Castillo. these guys. So many Marlins around the league that, uh, I mean, you know, and then you date back to Miggy and, and Andrew Miller and... um Oh my God! The list goes on and on. You know, Kike Hernandez, uh, uh, fucking Marisnik. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there are these guys riddled around the league that all these trades came from. But it's different now. You know, the trades that we talked about. Like, look at the results that have come out of all those trades. They're completely different than the Jared Cozart trade and the Mark Burley trade. And I mean, you know, the, the Dontrell Willis and the Josh Beckett and the, this one and the, that one. And, you know, and that was all done by Loria and his minions. So let's get into six though. Let's get into the exciting stuff. Now, this is the one that we've kind of avoided talking about so far. Yeah. How good is six though? Good, good, good. Um, my Ian, my co-host on the podcast went to see him and he said, Johnny Cueto. I've and, heard Pedro a lot. Yeah. And that's from like scout say, guys. That's that's the number one. So that's as high as it goes. That's the ceiling. You know, that you know, throwing Pedro out there, I mean, it's like it's like how I've been comparing Burrow to uh, you know, college football reference here, but comparing yeah, no, Joe Burrow to 
Brady. You know what I mean? It's like it's so dangerous to do, but when you do it, he just wins. You know, but when you just when you look at it, it kind of makes sense. But yep. six though, I mean, he he looks like Cueto on the mound. Like he just kind of got that like same kind of motion. And he's just flame. Th- he's just flamethrower, and his slider is so disgusting. And he, his numbers weren't great to start the year, um, but the problem with him was he was literally throwing too many strikes, like just leaving the ball in the strike zone too often. And because he throws it so hard, it was getting hit hard right back at him. Um, and then he just put it all together. Like in May and June, he just put it all together, and his numbers are so fantastic. Uh, let me look at this. Him and Luis Patino uh, are the only two people right now, because I, mm-hmm. I think you're right on Cueto, because I think I think he mm-hmm. reminds me more of Cueto, and I think Patino reminds me more of Pedro. Just like the mm-hmm. way he care. I mean, I don't know how Sixto carries yeah. himself, but Patino is just it's, this live yeah. wire. Yeah. No, he he he's a live wire, and he like has that like cock back when he throws. Yeah. You know, that, like, back release. You know. Um. You know, he's not the fastball isn't. Uh-huh. You know, it's electric. The fastball is electric. The, the slider is disgusting. The changeup is really what kind of put him over the edge this year. Ian said is that his changeup really came along and was really good. But I mean, in in um, 18 games, they kind of limit. He only threw 103 innings in 18 games this year. Um, 2.53 ERA, 1.03 WHIP. Uh, let me put up his FIP for a second. But I mean, it just got better every. Every week with Sixto, every time out on the mound, it just got better and better and better. And you saw um, he had a, a two six nine FIP compared to a two five three ERA. So his results were legit. You know, it was just him just going out there and just being better than everybody in Double A, and that's a pretty talented league, that Southern League. So um, he's just better. He's just better than everybody else, and uh, he's going to be up by. June next year, he's gonna be in the Mar. He's gonna be on the Marlins next year. Um, it, it should be by June. The guy's amazing. Um, and yeah, I I think he's Cueto good. Like if you want to ask how good he is, I think it's Cueto. Yeah, I mean that's that's super high praise. You know, I mean yeah, for a guy like that, and for you got and you got him for like a a talent. You know, it's not like you got him out of mm-hmm. nowhere. You know, you acquired him and had to press really hard to acquire him. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, you know, giving up JT wasn't easy, um, but he's going to make it worthwhile. A little bit easier um, with six, having, though. He, we didn't have the ace. We had a ton of arms, and we had a lot of, like, how I mentioned that, like, um, uh, Yams is kind of has the makeup of Kyle Hendricks. We had a lot of those guys, control, kind of, you know, finesse kind of pitchers. But this guy is just power, 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 and he can control it as good as anybody. So, I mean, this is the headline arm. We had a ton of arms. It was a surplus of arms, but we didn't have that headline guy until this guy came into the system. And this year he pitched like the ace of the future. And that's why you can't say anybody else, but him is the ace of the future. And you can't say he's not because he is, he, he is, you know, this is so tough for me to say because I'm such a Jose guy. I love him so much and I miss him so much. But he is the most exciting pitching prospect in the Marlins organization since Jose, without a doubt. And he's going to hopefully live up to it. You know, you got Sandy, Sixto, uh, Cabrera, Guzman, oh. Nider. Like, who are we uh-huh. missing here? 
Um, who are you missing? Oh, Stewart. Uh, not Stewart. Garrett and Rogers, especially Rogers, dude. Um, I was so low on Trevor Rogers because kind of biased. I'm a Gator. I yeah. wanted Fiedo that year, really, really bad. And Fiedo has been tremendous. Don't get me wrong. And it was just, you know, that last pick of the Lord era, Garrett, that was their last first round pick. And it was your typical Loria pick prep guy from New Mexico with not a ton of projectability, you know, like for whatever reason, he's a high prospect, but I mean, this guy's put it all together and he had a great year. Um, he, he he walked 24 guys this year compared to 122 strikeouts. This is at high A in 18 games in 110 innings, 122 strikeouts, 24 walks, uh, a 2.53 ERA and a 1.10 whip. Uh, he was just fantastic. He was just absolutely fantastic. His slider's getting better. His changeup is what everybody was worried about. It's getting better. The, sl- uh, the fastball's really good. He's got more velocity. I saw him at um, the high A all-star game this year. And he was sitting, he, he was getting up towards 94, 95, which is not something that we expected from him. And then Brax, finally, we got a full season of Braxton Garrett, which is what we've been looking for forever. He pitched 20 games in, um, in Jupiter this year. And he was really good too. I mean, in 105 innings, 118 strikeouts, 37 walks, 1.23 whip, uh, 3.34 ERA. So those are the two guys that, um, we have six top 100 prospects in the Marlins system right now. Those are the next two. They're they are going to be in this year, um, and, and as long as they pitch, you know, continue to pitch the way they did this year. Um, but Eddie, Eddie is the hidden gem in the system. Um, electric stuff, electric fastball, a little more control than a Sandy or a Jorge. Um, not as much as Sixto though, but. Um, he had such a good year. He was just so, so good. And he was him and Gerard Encarnacion were probably the two guys that made the biggest leaps in the entire system this year. Um, 2.02 ERA in Jupiter in 11 starts, uh, 0.95 whip. I thought there was no way this kid got to double A this year. And he did. And he was good when he got to double A in eight starts, 2.56 ERA, 1.06 whip. 43 Ks in 38.2 innings. And he really brought the walks down this year. So um, that kid's going to be really good. And he earned his way onto the top 100 list. He made it. And um, I'm really happy for him. Seems like a great, another one that's a great kid. And he's going to be really, he's going to be really, really good. And uh, he played himself into, you know, really being a part of the future of the rotation here. All right, so time to close it out with uh, the bullpen. How will the state of the bullpen look next year, and will uh, Urania be a bullpen piece now? Uh-huh. Next um, year? I, to be honest, I don't know a ton about the bullpen. I feel like the bullpen arms that will be here this year are going to come from free agency. But um, one key we missed, we didn't touch on, is Jordan Holloway. Uh, he's gonna be a bullpen arm to me. He just doesn't have the control, but he's got the stuff, um, and it, it it flashed at times this year. Um, so I think like him and and we talked about this earlier. Guzman can be an absolutely elite reliever if he doesn't stick in the uh, rotation, which this is the year whether we find out whether that happens or not. Um, 
I think Urania eventually gets skipped. I don't know if it's this year, but there's just too much talent in the farm for him to stick in the rotation. It would be inexcusable to leave him in the rotation, considering that um, there are, you know, you can put together a rotation right now just in the farm system of Sixto, Eddie, Brax, Rogers, and um, Nick Neidert. And that's your five right there. And I think they all have better careers than uh, Urania. And that doesn't even mention Yams, Pablo Lopez, or Sandy, who are all at the big league level right now. So um, the Marlins have too many good starters. uh, And Urania has the stuff to play out of the pen. So, yeah, I think um, that eventually we see him in the pen. Yeah, let's go to the draft. All right, so Bowden said that he thinks that this is, you know, probably the best draft of any team so far this year, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Love this draft. Oh, man. Just, just, I mean, gush on it, man. Let's talk about Blade first, and then we'll kind of go from there. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, Blade is just as solid as it gets in terms of a prospect. Um, hit at the SEC level. Um Showed an advanced approach at the SEC level, and at, at the SEC is a good, is you know as good as you're going to get. Um, and you know they say it's basically comparable comparable to like low A, high A, some you know A level pitching. Uh, and he went to high A, and at first wasn't great. He played a ton of baseball this year. I mean, clearly some some um, exhaustion showed, um, but had put together a 690 OPS, hit three home runs, uh, walked 11 times, K'd 29 times. Um, in 140 at bats, uh, kids can be good. I mean, you know, it's like the numbers don't jump off the page at you this year. Like we kind of expected him to, like I expected him to just come in and hit, you know, 300, 400, 500, uh, slash line, kind of something like that. But the numbers don't jump off the page, but it shows that, I mean, he's going to, you know, kind of break out next year. I think, uh, Jacksonville is reasonable for him. I think he can make the majors maybe, um, next year, if it really all comes together. But the guy that really um, we need to talk about is Burdick. Um, he had such a good year. He had a 949 OPS across two levels this year. Um, and this kid is just so exciting. I mean, he just tears the cover off the ball. 308, 407, 542, uh, slash line. Um, snuck into the top 30 list at the end of the year. Um, who else? Can we? He, he's just going to be. He he played himself into the discussion of outfield of the future. Um, I mean, the draft fitterer had was pretty good in the GCL. Mokma was pretty good in the GCL. Um, I mean, Meisner. We didn't even talk about Meisner. Some people think uh, Pipeline said that Meisner might have the best tools in the draft, and we got him with our third pick. No, we took him in the. What is it? The competitive balance round? CBA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was our second pick. And um, he put together across two levels a 750 OPS and hit 270 and got on base at a 388 clip. Um, Would like to see a little more power, but that'll come with just an adjustment to, you know, the new pitching. Um, But, you know, he kind of struggled at Mizzou in his senior season, but has all the tools to put it all together. Um, and then there are these, all these guys that flew under the radar, Nick Reddy, Evan Edwards, um, that just kind of, uh, JD Orr. that's another guy. He 
um, ha- was the batting champion in the New York Penn League this year with Batavia. All he does is get on base and steal bases. Um, let me pull up these numbers right now. He's a guy, uh, him and Burdick, I think, came out of Wright State, and everybody was like, where the hell did these guys come from? He hit 352. 469, 423 this year with a 172 weighted runs created plus and only struck out 11.5% of the time and stole 29 bases in 64 games. Um, so there are all these young guys that nobody talks about because they're not popping up on the top 30 list yet, but they will be eventually. And um, this draft is just stellar and like, like we were talking about Austin, like we were talking about uh, how it happened with the draft where it just all came together so quickly. In like a week's, a month span, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, literally, dude. Like literally like the the box scores just started jumping off the page at you because all this offense came in that we needed and we were so depleted of hitting in this this, um, system that, you know, guys like Thomas Jones and Bryson Brigman and uh, Chris Torres and uh, uh, I mean, you know, I can go on and on. We're still in the top 30 and then they just got lapped by all the guys that came into the system with the draft and um, with the trade deadline. So, yeah, I mean, the Marlins put it together and this draft was just fantastic. And I loved their strategy of really knowing the system well and saying, OK, we're missing power. So let's go after power. Let's go after advanced college bats that have been able to show to hit at the highest level. And they're just going to come right into the minors and hit. And that's exactly what happened. And it's it's working. You know, we usually close out with some bold predictions. What are your bold predictions for the Miami Marlins for 2020? Let's say they get to 70 wins. 70, huh? Let's say it. Why not? I mean, I see. I think we see five or six of these top – 15 guys make the majors by the end of the year. You're talking Blade, you know, this is by September. You're talking Blade, Sixto, Monte, Jesus, Nider, Lewin. That sounds like all, that sounds all like guys that have a legitimate chance. And my other bold prediction is that Gerard Encarnacion is the best player in the Marlins system next year. That guy is going to be fantastic. You love he is most, huh? Love him. Love him. Uh, he was a guy that, like, when we did our our season preview on the podcast, that I just kind of, like, mentioned in passing. Like, when we were going down all the rosters, I was like, oh, this Encarnacion guy is kind of intriguing. And then had a great year. Went to Jupiter. Went to high A ball. And had a nice year. Went to the fall league. Had a, put together a pretty nice fall. Um Kid's really exciting. He's just another guy that you add into the um, recipe. And yeah, and then I'll say that Sixto's up by June. Sixto's going to be there by June. Uh, He's going to have like a Jordan Yamamoto type call up where they need somebody and he's right there and, and he'll stick with it. And that'll be the last time he sees the minors. Thank you again to Ethan for joining us this week and talking Marlins. Be sure to check out Ethan on the Fist Stripes podcast, Earning Your Stripes. Next week, next week, we're going on to the Tigers. Brandon Day will be back just like last year to talk about the Detroit Tigers, and we are going to have a blast. That is a long episode, and I hope you guys enjoy it.